Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each week, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and on our website at ProChoiceOhio.org. The program also airs each Friday morning at 9 on WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL ProChoice Ohio. Enjoy the show! Welcome to Narrow's The Morning After. I'm super excited to have this conversation today with Jasmine Henderson from the Ohio Women's Alliance and Reverend Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. So welcome back, Terry, and welcome for the first time, Jasmine. Jasmine, you want to introduce yourself and the Ohio Women's Alliance? Yes, thank you, Jamie, for having us on. My name is Jasmine, and I am the Director of Policy and Social Impact for the Ohio Women's Alliance and the Ohio Women's Alliance Action Fund. Um, a little bit about us, the Ohio Women's Alliance was started by our co-founders, so that is Rhiannon Carnes and Aaron Scott. Um, so there are two wonderful leaders and our captain of the ship, and the reason why they started OWA and our Action Fund um, actually is in reference to the fact that we noticed that there was a organizational um, gap in true intersectional representation of uh, women in films across the state of Ohio for a truly like left progressive organization where we did not compromise on our values and we did not compromise on who we were in order to be a part of the movement ecology. Um, so we have this really uh, unique organizing model where we believe that um, lived experience in conjunction with uh, policy expertise in conjunction um, with organizing expertise and everything else is what we lead with. So we actually lead with the direction of our, our cooperative members. We have over 350 women and femmes from across Ohio who make up our cooperative and they really tell us what's important and what we should prioritize because um, we are a grassroots people powered organization. And so we believe in following the people and not necessarily the people following us so um, if we could talk about anything, it, it, we, we are a non-hierarchy-based um, organization that believes in making sure that we empower, we uplift, and um, we provide pathways for uh, civic um, and voter participation and policy changes that reflects the lives of women and femmes, particularly Black, Brown, AAPI, and Indigenous across the state of Ohio. And that's just a little bit about us. Super excited to have you and have Ohio Women's Alliance and work in partnership. Terry, you want to reintroduce yourself to our wonderful My listeners? name is the Reverend Terry Williams. I use he, him pronouns, and I am a faith organizer with the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. I'm so glad to be back here uh, with you, Jamie, and to get to be with Jasmine from Ohio Women's Alliance. Ohio RCRC is an organization that grew out of the movement for faith and religious clergy who were pro-choice before Roe, who were helping individuals access abortion care called the Clergy Consultation Service on Abortion. Uh, we grew out of that movement and have been active here in Ohio for decades. Ohio RCRC elevates the moral power of faith communities to ensure that all people can access the reproductive health care they need. And we do that regardless of income, race, sexual orientation, gender identity, or background, and free from judgment and intimidation. Woo, 
it's such a party and it's great to be with you both today. So we invited Terry and Jasmine here because so much has been happening across the state on so many different things. And to be honest, I even haven't had the right amount of time to like really look into a big issue that's been pending in our legislature, which is a whole host of anti-protest bills, kind of following the racial uprisings last summer, white male Republicans, of course, decided that we need to kind of take the power from the people and give more power to the police, which is exactly the opposite of the message from the protests last summer. Um, so we wanted to have folks, um, these folks come on and talk to us more about it. So you guys want to get started kind of with some background, like what, what are these bills? Why, why these anti-protest bills? And why now? I mean, isn't that really the question? Like, why? Why? <laughs> why, why, yeah. why are we in Ohio deciding at this point in the pandemic, at this point when we have lived through literally hell over the last 16 months of mm. just trying to live, just trying to get our communities back to some kind of functioning, why are we criminalizing free speech? I don't know why, but I know that uh, there are a bunch of bills coming through our legislature and moving in our legislature, not just introduced, but actually having hearings and, you know, having sponsors and co-sponsors join behind them that seek to criminalize free speech and seek to absolutely chill any kind of public debate or criticism of the government in our state. Jasmine, do you know why? <laughs> Can you can you help us understand you know, the why really good, we're doing this? I, you know, I have a real good reasoning as to why. And you know what? It's because okay, we can't cuss on a podcast, but black, black women, black women have been lighting it up. Like when it comes to gathering the folks of Ohio to talk about the problems that in Ohio we were afraid to talk about um, before George Floyd. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery in conjunction with um, the death and the devastation of the pandemic and the uncertainty of our economy kind of created this perfect snapshot, not just in the United States, but particularly in Ohio to be truly reflective of who we are as a state and how we view um, Black people in general and how we view uh, Black lives in this in this country and in this world. And I think uh, the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery allowed us to reflect on the current state of um, policing, the current state of the value of black lives um, within the state of Ohio. And I do not think many Ohioans like the reflection of themselves that they saw in the mirror last summer. And so with that being said, we really had a true intersectional movement um, of people who came together from multiple facets of life. You had people who were coming in from Appalachia. You had people who were um, of the Amish religious background coming in and saying Black Lives Matters. You had people who were a part of intergenerational coalitions. You had many people from many different racial and ethnic backgrounds um, and also people who had uh, varying um, entry points into this country, whether they came recently, their first gen or etc. So when you have an intersectional movement that is not just asking, but demanding for the lives of a group of very, very oppressed and historically um, marginalized people to just be able to be able to take a deep breath and be able to interact with these institutional systems that have historically oppressed us and killed us and murdered us. I think because 2020 forced us to slow down and be in our homes because of the pandemic, it really forced us to reckon with 
um, who we think is valuable in this country. And I think we couldn't outrun ourselves. And I think um, in return, our governing bodies and our legislatures felt like they were losing the collective power that they had and the collective power that I truly feel like our um, GOP white leaders in our state house operate from is through a lens of white supremacy in which they seek to create a stratified and um, racialized hierarchy system in which black people in Ohio receive the least amount of benefits, the least amount of support and the least amount of love where we can't even guarantee that you will stay alive as you interact uh, with these systems. And so with that being said, I know why we all know why we just have to call it a thing and, and, you know, that's what I did is I just I want I want to call the thing a thing. The reason why we have anti-protest bills is because we had, you know, kick ass black women who were really um, showing up and showing out and really putting their organizing skills to the test. Um, and I think the execution and the success of uh, these black women putting themselves, their bodies on the line in the forefront and the momentum that it created is something that terrified our legislature um, in ways where they believe that free speech, full and complete speech, free speech, um, and the ability to tell the full and complete truth about our lived experiences as uh, people of color in the state of Ohio uh, really makes people feel uncomfortable. I mean, we can we can even go down to you know the House bill currently um, on the floor around critical race theory and different things like that. Um, and why it's a choice not to talk about current events and different things like that because the mirror that it reflects up to Ohio um and the rest of the country really it is a hard blow to white supremacy right it's hard to overcome the things that you see with your own eyes i i think you're absolutely right jasmine and you know the the reality is what so frightened the people in in power and i i like to i like to refer to our lawmakers in ohio not as people in power but people in control because they're not really in power because jerry is so terrible and such a blight on the political reality of Ohio that we have legislators that like to pick their constituents. They pack and crack, you know, with the gerrymandering language, the the districts in such a way that they just maintain control without really having power because the real power is in the hands and the bodies and the voices of these black women who called the entire community, the whole state, the whole nation mm-hmm. to account. And what I think is fascinating is not just not just those those black women doing the organizing within a community, but that they built solidarity across huge numbers of organizations. We had huge numbers of organizations not typically gathered together, environmental organizations, reproductive health and justice organizations, you know, folk who labor unions coming out, all of these kind of cross pollinated organizations came out in support of black lives and that terrified our legislature. So we get Senate Bill 41 that is trying to charge protesters for property damage and, you know, allows law enforcement to seek reimbursement from protesters Mm -hmm. if, you know, there's any kind of damage, even if the protester was just participating in the protest but wasn't directly involved in damage, it allows them to target them. You know, SB 41 is all about scaring people away from joining a protest. Absolutely. HB 22 would make it a felony to distract or divert the attention of a police officer. There's no definition for what distracting technically means, what use of force technically means. Really, you know, before that particular bill got tons and tons of amendments, uh, it was really clear that like throwing glitter at a pride parade 
could be cause for a person to catch a felony, a felony mm-hmm. charge. And remember, remember when you when you hear felony in the state of Ohio, you ought to automatically think of voting rights, right? right? Because the moment you catch a felony, you're gonna lose some access to the ballot, if not, you uh-huh. know, permanent access. Very, say say more. That. Say so more. Like, there is there is this strategy of if we can criminalize you and take away your vote. We continue to keep control in this. Absolutely. And control over bodies. People ask, you know, you're part of a reproductive rights organization, you know, Ohio RCRC. What do you care about protests? And it's like, let's be clear here. Like for us at Ohio RCRC, we are practitioners and, and devotees of all those folk who are doing reproductive justice, like Sister Song, uh, you know, articulates that around Black women doing in-community work. And when Black women articulated what reproductive justice meant for them, it was the ability to have children, the ability to not have children, and the ability to parent the children they have free from state-sanctioned violence. And that's where we are. You go from SB 41, HB 22, and then to the biggie, HB 109. Because HB 109 is all about criminalizing organizations. Again, because these strong Black women organizers were able to get organizations across a broad spectrum to come forward, that made a really, really frightening ecosystem for the Mm. people in control who aren't really in power in the state of Ohio. So HB 109 would create third-degree felonies for interfering with or blocking traffic. These are techniques, mind you, that have been used in the civil rights movement for six decades. These are the techniques that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who every white person likes to quote because now he's dead and safe mm-hmm. and not blocking our mm-hmm. streets, right? Because folk didn't like to quote him when he was blocking our streets. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. blocked our streets. He you know, had these kind of techniques in this process that would be targeted and would catch him third degree felonies under HB 109. Mm-hmm. It expands organizational liability so that organizations that even provide resources, you know, organizations that say, we're going to go ahead and watch your kids on the other side of town while you go to a protest about police brutality. Those organizations watching your kids on the other side of town could be financially liable for damage that might happen at that protest or perceived damage that mm. is put onto that protest by folk after the fact who you know decide to to kind of re- reformat the definitions. There's no clear definition of what riot assault means, even though that's a new charge. Absolutely. All the stuff that we could get in the weeds for all day long, and and what I found so much joy in was all these bills started to come forward. The first one that came forward was HB 22. We rang the alarm bells. We we called out to that broad organization, that organization that frankly is is rooted in the hard, hard work of black women in this state. And we brought over 101 testimonies out against mm-hmm. that bill, against just HB 22. That's that's a small part of it, right? HB 109 is the big behemoth, but HB 22 got 101 opponent testimonies in committee scared the living daylights out of the folk on that committee. They came forward with three or four different sub bills, and they're still not really sure that they want to move that forward, except we all know that they want to move it forward, just not in the light of day, right? So, so we're, we're at this place where all of this, all of this process has come down to 
our legislators are still going to move this forward. They're just going to do it in the most opaque way possible, and they're going to do it in the most disingenuous way possible, and they're going to do it in the way that they can keep the most number of people away from the process as possible, because they don't want strong Black women weighing in on this. They don't want Ohio Women's Alliance coming forward and getting the people who are listening to this podcast and this radio edit. They don't want those people to show up and say, no, no, no. They want to be able to take that away. Ooh, I'm sorry. I, I get I get real fired up about this, you know, and I, I forget that I'm not a preacher uh, on on the radio. But Lord Jesus, oh, you you allowed to preach? Yes. Well, and I think what was interesting to me at the beginning of all this because this all started back in January. You know, mm. we started seeing these bills. These bills have low numbers. They were introduced a while ago. We're in the three mm. hundreds at this point, mm-hmm. but. You know, naive Jamie for a second before I woke up and drank some coffee um, was thinking, well, maybe these bills will slow down a little bit because we saw what happened on January 6th and we saw what happened all last year. uh -uh. Protesters showing up outside of Amy Acton's house, armed protesters breaking windows at the state house were not Black Lives Matter protesters. They were anti pandemic shutdown protesters you know Mm. the people who broke into mission michigan's capitol building with long guns like the this happened last year and it's really interesting as we go through these these hearings and hear from these legislators supporting these things the only protests they seem to talk about are the black lives matter protests Mm -hmm. and it really just shows and jasmine i love your your thoughts on this like how much the these people are blind to the fact that the violent protests that happened in the last 15 months were not Black Lives Matter protests. You know, inconveniencing you by making you drive around the block because protesters have a street closed down is not violence. It is inconveniencing you. And so like, let's talk a little bit more about like, you know, the impact on this and, and, yeah yeah, what the backlash and all these things i mean i think the the truth is they they absolutely know because it's the introduction of these bills and the framing and the narrative building around these bills absolutely let us know like the people who do organizing or part of a movement ecology or just like policy or like your policy wonks it let us know that the intent to execute was absolutely not meant um for people who inside of the insurrection on January 6th mm. or the people who showed up to Amy Acton's house when she was trying to keep Ohioans alive. Right. Um, and I know that was hard going through 2020 being Amy Acton trying to keep Ohioans alive, but that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. Uh-huh. Yes. But I, I really do uh, think that we, we know, we know based upon the narrative who these bills are targeted for. And therefore we know who, uh, the Ohio uh, governing body and the Ohio legislature uh, particularly believe should have the right to protest, should have the right to peacefully assemble, should have the right to exercise First Amendment rights and, and talk about the disgusting nature and the impact that, you know, uh, racism has had where people had to really, in order to survive in an instance, come out in the middle of a pandemic and risk their lives immediately to make sure that their communities collectively survived. And I think when you get to that point in society where you have to decide, do I die now or do I die later? Um, I think we do know, we do know who, 
who this bill, this, this grouping of bills intends to execute this power upon and is absolutely meant to be used in a discriminatory and an oppressive manner to hyper-target organizations like all of ours on this call who are very much so instrumental in making sure that people have the correct education and awareness um, about what reproductive justice means, what reproductive access means, and why our ability to be able to go to the state house steps and hold our elected officials accountable um, is absolutely a formidable, a viable, and an appropriate pathway toward accountability. And I think when we're talking about um, you know, it's not necessarily that they're blind. It's not, there's no blindness about the execution for who this bill intends to target. It's absolutely the fact that the people who participated in the insurrection on January 6th or showed up to Amy Acton's house or different things that would protect people like the mob element in Senate Bill like 182 is meant to absolutely protect um, people who they view as in their district, if I'm being honest, is meant to protect people who look like them. And let's be clear with these white male legislators, these people are people who are part of their family. These are people who are a part of their auxiliary groups and their fraternity groups in their hometowns. These are the people that they go to Sunday brunch and dinner with. These are the people that they invite over to their homes to have this with. So we also have to separate the fact that when we're looking at this, it's not always about, it is. It is always about who to press in this governing body and legislature. I'm gonna be honest about that. But it's also about who deserves protection even when their protection is at the behest, the oppression, or even the murder of other groups of people. And what the precedence of these group that this is setting is saying that like black, brown, indigenous people who are um, neurotypically different, people who suffer from um, disabilities, people who suffer from a gamut of things um, in this world because of how our society is structured don't actually have at least in Ohio, the full capability and rights, or we don't think that they deserve to have the full capability and rights to be able to articulate and put their pain, put their lived experiences, put the ways in which systematic racism or how ableism or how sexism or massage noir, et cetera, has impacted uh, their own lived experiences in their communities. You're not allowed to put that forefront. So that mirror that we were talking about, it's just basically like the governing body deciding that you don't hold a mirror about how we oppress you up to us because it makes us look mm -hmm. bad so mm -hmm. we want you to go home be quiet and shut up and be happy um that you got the little bit of crumbs that you got mm -hmm. but the things we need to recognize about being ohioans and being taxpayer citizens is that we don't have to accept that we pay their salary they're there to protect us and it's our job when they're not protecting us to be loud and to be bold and say it about it and my thing is what you gonna do like my truth is my truth and it's not going to change and me being a black woman who feels like and knows and has a ardent history around how you oppress me but also has these these bills that shout out y'all butts in 2021 um to further oppress me won't make me stop it won't make me not hold you accountable. It won't make me any less scared. You've taken away so much from my community already um, that I, the one or two measures of accountability that I have for you, which are voting and which is the ability to be able to be angry and loud in public and tell you that I'm angry and loud in public about your treatment of me doesn't scare me.
it doesn't scare me because of the pressure cookers that you have put me in all my whole entire life. And I think that's the thing that is truly scary. And that's the thing that is truly um, how uh, these white legislators are blindsided because they don't understand that my power and passion comes from my ability to survive and take my community with me. And there's nothing that you haven't already done historically to me or to my community that would ever make me walk away or ever make me be devastated enough not to show up for myself. And if 2020 didn't make our, our governing body understand that, then in spite of a pandemic that disproportionately affected African-Americans that we were still coming out, we were still doing things. And in spite of all this, we still figured out how to vote in disproportionately high numbers that we still gonna do us in spite of y'all doing y'all. And I think that's what we really have to recognize in there. And that's the true blind spot that this legislator has, is this legislative body has is like, um, you're not gonna stop me because you create more oppressive laws. The thing is, I'm just gonna learn how to be more creative or I'm gonna use your oppressive tools to make you look stupid. Um, which is quintessentially like us raising awareness and doing education-based uh, things, but also using the pathways that we have through written testimony, like you talked about, um, Reverend Terry, um, through through creating the policy hours that we have at OWA, um, by doing forms of direct service and different things like that to incentivize people, to get people registered to vote um, for, for these things, but also doing podcasts like this is the ways that we continue to fight back because it's a consistently, it's another way to put these this, this legislative body on notice that we see you and we see you're wrong and you can't be wrong and loud at the same time without there being consequences. And, and Jasmine, I, I just want to thank you for the way that you frame that because the idea that, you know, the two ways that we have to hold these people accountable, the two small ways we have are voting and being loud and angry in public. Those are the two things that they're trying to attack right now in the Ohio legislature. The last two ways that we have to hold them accountable. Yes. I, I was having a conversation with a dear clergy friend of mine who was not too sure about all this stuff, wanted to learn more, started you know, reading some of the, the resources that we have, the, the coalition that's uh, you know, Stop OH protest bills. Um, it has a Facebook page, but also Our Voices Together. If you do a Google search on Our Voices Together Ohio, you'll come up with Unitarian Universalist Justice Ohio and all the information you'll ever want to know about these bills. <laughs> and he, he talked to me, he's a, he's a white, uh, middle-class, Anglo-Saxon Protestant minister. And he's like, you know, he's like, I, I read all the bills and I'm just not, I'm not sure where you're getting that this has like a disparate impact at all, because you know, I, I don't see where any of these bills apply more to, to the people who you protest with, as opposed to some of these people, you know, the anti-maskers like Jamie mentioned, or the, you know, the kind of gun nuts. And I had to stop. And, and I, 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 you know, for me, working in this movement, working in this work, and working with so many fantastic, brilliant Black women like you, Jasmine, I just make the assumption that people already get that there is a disparate impact in all of our laws that exist right now, because if there weren't, we wouldn't see dead black bodies on our streets at the horrendously disproportionate rate that we do. We Absolutely. would not see this disparate impact of infant mortality and issues around incarceration, the mass incarceration industrial complex, that whole process. And I had to look at my colleague and I said, do you honestly think that the law is equally applied now, the laws we have? Because if you do, you have mm. to believe 
that there is no disparate impact and there is no systemic racism, which then we have to have a whole nother conversation. And he yes, sat back, folded his arms and said, you know, I never thought about that before. Let me tell you, Jasmine, my deep proof <coughs> in this world is that folk who've never thought about that before get to thinking about it right now because Absolutely. it's happening. And these bills are only going to exacerbate that. These bills give opportunities for law enforcement to further criminalize protesters. Mm. They're not going to come after the people who are standing up with their long guns running around, you know, making threats to people. They're not. And that was clear when that Senate Bill 182 came out. It was clear. That's right. Mm -hmm. They're not coming after people who are protesting at abortion clinics. They are not coming after uh, these radical extremists who are threatening abortion doctors, right? They're not coming after those folks. They're coming after our people who are standing up in the middle of the road saying, why all the state-sanctioned violence? Why mm. death of Black bodies? Why not change and why not now? That's who they're coming after. Mm-hmm. And it's also yeah. a, a criminalization for people because it's like, how dare they? How dare they? Um, not, not be happy with, you know, the fact that there is state sanctioned violence and things like that. And I think that to me, outside of just the complete obvious impact about who they intend to prosecute, um, with this collection of bills, it's often the, the underbelly of it is just like, how dare you? Like, how dare you want to change this society? How dare you want equity? Right. Because for me, it's well, I'm past the point of representation or equality. I'm at the point of equity, right? Like in the underbelly of bills like uh, the voter suppression bill, like the anti-protester bills, um, in my opinion, like the the anti-critical uh, race theory bill, is to say like, how dare you want to take up space? How dare you do you just want to do more than live until we decide when you die? How dare you dictate what your life looks like? How dare you dictate what your communities look like and how dare you have values that are not rooted in the centering of who I am as a white cisgendered male first, even when that centering has nothing to do with your lived experience. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is like the most offensive part. It's like, oh, no, no, I have First Amendment rights to protest. I have Second Amendment rights. And in conjunction with stand your ground laws, I can also cross barriers in that in that same area where I told you not to come, but I can come because I have a firearm. And then I can incite violence, but because I can incite violence or because I have a firearm, um, I can incite violence in ways that you cannot. And it's just like, well, if a person with the intent, because in my opinion, I I won't say if, if anyone carries a gun, they intend to use it. But I will say that in the instances where you have extremists who are showing up and using their guns to even elicit the thought of violence, which in my opinion is violence. Intimidation is violence. I understand too that the same people are very ready to shoot their guns. And for me, what made this very apparent was just like, okay, well, in Senate Bill um, 185, like what do guns have to do with the peaceful assembly of people of color or, or, or anybody who wants to come, whether it's for abortion, whether it's us showing up during Pride Month. And I really became scared because we have Pride Month where m- people who are queer spend the month outside as people should because we need a space of celebration. And we are just now in places like Ohio getting to the point many, many years after the first Pride where this is 
an out and open celebration of queer Ohioans. And the one thing that I thought about this past weekend was like, if all of these bills go into effect, what does Pride 2022 look like? Will mm. we be harassed in mm. our own safe spaces mm-hmm. that we worked 40, 50, 60 years to be able to to be able to get like what will the future of us showing up and showing out for ourselves look like what will stop if these bills pass from these extremists to showing up to polling locations that are primarily black and brown what stops them um, from the board of education from 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 asking black folks you know for those three types of ids versus a white person who can come into the board of elections um, with their gun safely locked in the car because theoretically at the board of elections you could have it in their parking structures but you can't take it in into um into the uh, facilities to go vote and so with the combination of those bills it, it really isn't just about us saying and not us when i mean us i mean the governing body of ohio it really isn't about the governing body of Ohio saying like, you don't deserve to have rights. It is also saying you don't deserve to be here. And if you don't follow uh, the previously agreed upon sociological constructs that we agreed to in this country, when you did not have rights, when you did not have power, the ability to be able to vote or the ability to show up and advocate for yourself, we will kill you. And I think we have to talk about that because this is at the intersection of a lot of lives. Um, This is absolutely about Black lives, but this is also about queer lives. This is also about trans lives. This is also about anybody who wants to live their lives out loud and in public and know that they should be able to come home for being exactly who they are. And these bills, basically through the execution of jail time or the execution of, 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 the gun and the incorporation of guns into these policies in conjunction with stand your ground really creates the space to say, if you violate societal norms, sociological norms, um, we have the right to kill you. And I think we have to start putting it in that stark of a contrast or or terms for people to really be able to understand, like you were talking about Reverend Terry, why these bills are so detrimental. I think people get confused because there's a certain neutrality that I think lawmakers have learned how to use to make bills not seem violent. Um, But like, if anything that I think the Ohio legislature has perfected in the last 30 years is actually that the ability to put neutralized language to create violence and when I mean neutralized language I'm not talking about the impact I'm talking about the delivery how they intend to put it in the billing and that's absolutely what we're having here and I think oftentimes we don't understand the impact until it's too late but the wonderful thing about groups like ours is that we raise awareness and we will not be quiet and and you know people 101 testimony people called out somebody or people called out the chairman um for the criminal justice committee you know, in, in, in a home area, and now we're waiting till fall. So there is, I'm sorry about that, there is power and knowledge and education, and there is knowledge in us articulating our anger, um, and understanding the impact on, in spaces like this on the podcast. Absolutely, and I, I know we're tight on time. There are two things that I want to make sure that we remember in this process, too, because everything you've shared We've got to remember that these legislators are doing this in conjunction with lots of other priorities. SB 185 has been proposed and put forward by, you know, this proposal to make it easier to use guns and to move guns in and throughout our communities. That proposal, making it easier to use guns, is brought forward by the same man who wants it to be more difficult for people to be able to access their SNAP benefits for food. That person is the same person making the same priorities for two different groups of people. And when we start looking at 
the chairperson of the committee for HB uh, 22. That chairperson is not just, you know, a person who's going to stick around in Ohio and these politics for a couple of years. That man is the anointed successor to the OH15 Steve Stivers congressional seat to go to the national legislature, the federal legislature. Mm-hmm. So if Steve Stivers gets his way, Jeff LeRae, who is the architect of a lot of these anti-freedom of, of uh, speech bills, are good. He's going to be the one carrying a voice now to Washington. This and call them what they are. Call them anti-freedom bills. You don't even have to call them anti-speech. Actually, just call right. them anti-freedom and let's stop at that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop it here. We've got to stop it now. And Ohio needs to stop exporting trash up, <laughs> up and down uh, yes. the ballot. We got to stop doing that. You know? And we stop. We yeah. need to stop inheriting the trash of other states and their failed legislature, mm-hmm. uh, their failed mm-hmm. le- legislative policies. Um, because I do notice, and this is an absolute call out. So I hope every person who hears this who has the ability to change this is offended. But it is quite ironic that a lot of the bills that can't get up off the ground in places like Florida or Georgia or Alabama or Kentucky or West Virginia actually send their lobbyists and actually send their policy up Ohio's way because they know that like <laughs> the bar is low here, right? So a so lot of low. these <laughs> national and these a uh, federal, you know, a uh, conservative, uh, you know, racist, anti, um, anti. I, I can't even call them pro-life, y'all, because once the the children get here, they're not concerned about if these birthing parents or the children live, nope. right? So you're not even pro-life. So these people who just care about access to people's uteruses and different things like that, the bar is so low in Ohio that we actually inherit and adopt other failed policy and legislation from other states. And I don't know about y'all, but like the state of Ohio was shaped in a heart, not a trash can. Like we don't need to inherit the destructive and the innately terrible policies that come out the South. And, you know, kudos to uh, uh, the the Southern organizers who are like us, who are working hard to make sure that this harmful policy doesn't pass through their governing bodies either. But I think it says a lot when we can look to places like Texas and it can say, hey, this is coming your way. Or we can look at other places um, like uh, Florida and we can say this is coming your way. And we just like as a governing body, they just have to stop adopting the harmful, the terrible, but also like the PR nightmare based uh, policy that makes us look terrible as a state. Like it makes us look like we're just willing to accept any and all trash. And I don't I I legitimately Mm -hmm. don't understand. That's the one thing I don't understand about our legislature. (laughs) No, they've never faced consequences. There's never been any accountability for any of this. I mean, we saw it with the six-week ban and the fact that, like, we passed it, I think, not far before Georgia did. And oh, no, I think it was right after. Timing's hard. But, like, everybody in Georgia was like, oh, we're going to, like, all the corporations are speaking out and we're doing all these things. And then it happened in Ohio and I was just kind of like, meh. And so, yeah, it really is an interesting kind of way of, of, of thinking about all this. But yeah, we're short on time. So I wanted to um, quickly, again, Terry, your um, stop OH protest bills on Facebook. We'll put that link in the show notes. And then what was the other one? Our Voices Ohio? Our Voices Together. They're hosted uh, to one of our partners, which is UUJO.org. I will go ahead and drop that link so that we can get that into the show notes. 
Perfect. And then um, Jasmine, your um, policy hours for OWA are all on your Facebook page, right? We can link to those in the show notes. Yes, um, our, our Ohio Women's Alliance policy hours is actually on our action fund page. So it's the Ohio Women's Alliance action fund page. You can follow on Facebook. Um, we also have another Facebook page just called the Ohio um, Women's Alliance page. So if you Google or not Google, if you type that into the search bar on Facebook, you can find that in all of our socials. Um, if you just type in the Ohio Women's Alliance or Action Fund, please follow us and please join our cooperative. If you go to our website, theohiowomensalliance.org, it'll say join us. Our cooperative is a harm-free value alliance place for women, femmes, and non-gender conforming persons across the state of Ohio. We would love to have um, your membership. We would love to work with you and we would love to make sure that you execute your people power in any way that you see fit. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure other people will learn a lot as well. And I always love talking to you both. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks.